0: The Hennessy Report from Keystone Partners, a free flowing conversation with leaders in the HR community, talking about themselves, the industry, and their work. Brought to you in cooperation with NERA, the Northeast Human Resources Association. Welcome to The Hennessy Report. I'm your host, Dave Hennessy. We have a great discussion for you today with the Senior Vice President and the Head of Corporate HR. At CVS, also known as CVS Health. A lot of people don't know that CVS is number seven on the Fortune 500 list and if this merger acquisition of Aetna goes through, they will move all the way up to number three on the Fortune 500 list. Yes, that little pharmacy slash convenience store that all of us New Englanders grew up going to is now big time. Speaking of mergers and acquisitions, Mark uh, has a lot of experience in this area. He was at Fleet when they acquired Bank Boston and was very involved in that integration, as well as the acquiree when Fleet was purchased by Bank of America. His M&A experience is something we talk about early in the podcast, and it really sharpened his focus on building sustainable corporate culture and how to look after employees and invest in their development. Like former podcast guests Helen Dreinand and Marilyn Hausman, He really encourages HR professionals to get well-rounded business experience and to volunteer for projects in organizations. Up next on the podcast, we have the Chief People Officer of HubSpot, Katie Burke. That'll be out in a few weeks. And now I bring you my discussion with Mark Griffin. Well, here we are at the corporate headquarters of CVS, I think formerly known as CVS Health Is that true, Mark? Yes, it is. Sitting here with uh, Mark Griffin, the senior vice president of corporate human resources. Glad to have you on the podcast.
1: It's great to be here. Thanks, David.
0: Before we get into HR topics, I think it'd be great if the listeners um, we all could hear a little bit about your background and how you got into the function. First of all, Mm -hmm. but and more importantly, what are some of the experiences in your life? maybe people and experiences that help shape who you are and help you get to where you are in your career today.
1: Yeah, thanks, David. So um, in, in college, I was an industrial psychology major and a little bit not sure what I wanted to do with that. And I took some business courses and was very interested in the non-clinical side of uh, psychology, but the business side of it, and ended up uh, entering a co-op program where I spent time through an internship at a hospital in their HR department. And uh, that led to, you know, a part-time job in between in between classes. And it gave me some experience outside of just classwork when I graduated to launch me into my initial phases of an HR role. From there, I was at Fleet Bank. From there, I just, you know, signed up for as many opportunities as I possibly could, stretched my ability to to take on more, to learn. I was a sponge. And I think you have to take a lot of risks, you know, when you enter into the HR in a lot of fields when you're new out of college. And I did that and I grew through through Fleet. And I think a big experience there was, you know, that you have to move quickly. We were doing a lot of uh, acquisitions. That mm-hmm. was very
0: popular in banking yes. for a long time. Not so much now, but it was, a real, it was a quite a stretch there for about 25 years of banking acquisition, it seemed.
1: It, it was. And that, David, I think was a key experience for me is uh, I also led some of those acquisitions as a key team member of on on the integration team mm-hmm. and you you really learn a variety of hr you know, skills during an integration, you've got to do talent assessment, you have to do talent management, you've got culture work, you've got engagement work, you know, you have outplacement work, you know, you've got coaching and development work, you have org design work that you have to do. And so I think that was a key experience in in my growth was, you know, really through a variety of different mergers and acquisitions.
0: Mm. One that comes to mind is the Bank Boston acquisition, certainly uh, very important to a lot of our listening audience Do you want to talk a little about that? Yeah. That that experience? Because you were... Acquiring quite a strong organization in their own right, and they had a strong HR culture,
1: as I know. They had a really strong culture, and I think the cultures of both companies were different, uh, like it happens in many acquisitions. And you know, unlike prior acquisitions where you know Fleet would kind of acquire a company, work through the integration, and kind of you know quickly integrate the prior company into processes and administrative areas, uh, Bank of Boston was more of a, a collaborative. Of integration, we we blended cultures versus just you know pulled people into the fleet culture, and that was I think the single biggest difference in that acquisition versus our, others. They also had an international, um, uh, a business line. That's right.
0: They had South America, I believe. Right, right. Yep,
1: yep. And so that gave us you know a big step internationally, which was new to the company, mm-hmm. and um, so there was a lot of work going on there to really get the best talent who could lead the new company, um, and, uh, you know, we, we, had, we had a lot of work to do, and uh, we were based in downtown Boston, and I think, I think ultimately uh, the company um, was a lot better by merging both cultures together mm-hmm. and getting the best of both. Yeah. What are you proudest of about that merger? About your work on it,
0: and or your your team, I guess. You know, I, th-
1: yeah. I think it's the way we, we ultimately treated people through the integration. I mean, any time you're in HR through a major uh, acquisition, you know, there are people that will lose their jobs. And, um, you know, we found a way to actually, you know, make sure that was fair, consistent. Uh, we treated people with respect. We communicated very, very well. And, um, you know, I had a lot of people... You know, even though they may not have ended up in the new in the new company um, with a role, uh, we're very pleased the way the process went and felt that they were treated fairly and treated with a lot of respect. Yeah,
0: and I think the market saw that as well. I think that was
1: certainly uh, common common thoughts after yeah. that. Or, and then the last thing, David, is just that you know we did turn the new company into you know a a a, um, a company that was going to continue to grow much farther than both of the companies could uh, on their own. Mm. And so that was exciting. Right. Um, and, you know, that we actually created through a lot of hard work, cross-functional hard work with all different kinds of departments, a new entity mm. and a new entity that could serve customers better than, than before. And that was going to continue to, um, you know, grow the company. Right. Which is now Bank of America.
0: Of course. Yeah. I was going to mention that too. So, Then you had the other side of being the acquired. Well, it was more of a a merger than an acquisition, but it was an acquisition, and then acquired, certainly, by Bank of America. uh, But one last thing about the merger. Anything that you learned about that that you would share to others in the HR merger and acquisition space that you'd recommend as advice if they're involved, just like you were in that process? Something as you play back, like, I would have done this differently, or... I just learned that this has to be done this way, or I'd recommend others to do it that way.
1: Well, coming off prior uh, acquisitions, we kind of had a methodology Mm -hmm. on how to do this. And Mm -hmm. so it was easy for me to be tapped as a a key person to lead the integration with a few of my peers from both sides Mm -hmm. of of both companies. But I would say the key thing is to raise your hand and get involved. And it's very easy to be kind of, especially with two big companies, to keep your head down, you know, stay in the shadows and, you know, kind of back off and, and and let the chips fall. But you learn so much when you step up and you put anxieties behind you about what the new company is going to be and how change is going to affect you. Mm-hmm. You think about the company first and um, things tend to fall into place. Mm-hmm. And uh, I would encourage people who have an opportunity to join an integration team to take that leap. Mm-hmm. And because it's going to be it's going to be a great experience. It's going to be very hard work, but it's going to be very, very rewarding. And if you don't raise your hand, you know, you may not have the opportunity.
0: That's good advice. What about the emotions with that? Because sometimes people have, you know, identities with the organizations that they've been part of for so long. And I imagine you must have seen this, a lot of emotions around, you know, the Bank Boston brand and culture leaving or even the fleet, what it was, because now it's going to become something new. Was that part of it, part of the integration? Or I'm sure it was, I guess. But how did you um, how did you deal with
1: it? I guess all those emotions that people were having, or even you, there were a lot. Uh, you know, as I mentioned, both cultures were much different, and you know everybody had an opinion. You know, why are they doing something this way? Why is Fleet doing something this way? And you know, so yeah, those those emotions run high. I think there's two things. Uh, one is to get the best and brightest um, people from both companies who are also change agents and well respected on the integration team. So they could lead change and bring people with them. The other thing is to kind of embrace not what necessarily both prior companies do or did, but really get everybody aligned on where we're going. Mm. And then people start to feel better about, okay, well, we may not be doing what we did before, and that's okay because what we're going to do in the future is going to be better. It's going to be improved. It's going to be more efficient. It's going to serve our customers better. So instead of feeling bad about what's not caring for in the new company, feel good about what the new company is going to be.
0: Sell the new vision. Correct. Like. That's, that helps everybody get aligned. A lot of communication,
1: yeah. engagement, yeah. Uh, pulse surveys, pulse checks, uh, mm-hmm. You know, town halls. Uh, a lot of communication in terms Two-way of... Two-way communication, right? That's right. Yeah, that's great.
0: Maybe shifting to HR a little bit. Um, what are the the biggest changes you've seen in the HR function over the last, say,
1: 10 years? So I think HR really becoming a true business partner and not just doing HR programs for HR sake. I think that, you know, if that's kind of the thought process or if that's what HR departments are doing today, they just don't get that seat at the table the way they used to. And over the past 10 years, I've seen that increasingly increase in nature in terms Getting of- Getting more uh, more control of- Helping, yeah and have a, be a voice business partner
0: and strategy you
1: know, yeah uh, right and and you know, not just being brought in for HR topics but being at the table for strategic business growth topics mm. and oh by the way how are we going to do that from a human capital standpoint mm. uh, so that's really really critical I also think technology is changing a lot of things in the industry but it also is changing HR and I think we have the ability to you know from mobile and digital we have a different way of engaging people and and communicating to folks and I think that um, you know, so HR departments have to really identify ways to capitalize on that, mm-hmm. and um, and also improve, you know, the expectations of employees on what the company should provide to them through HR, you know, comp benefits and other types uh, of uh, programs continues to increase. And so, you know, to keep people engaged and feel valued, we have to treat our employees the same way. We treat our, client, our clients and our customers and our patients. And to do that, we need the infrastructure, we need the technology, but we also need a dedication, you know, to really make the employee experience the best experience.
0: And going forward,
1: what do you see some changes in HR as
0: you go forward in the next five or ten years? What are some of the things you... Hope to see or want to want to implement.
1: Yeah, so one that's on on the mar- in the marketplace now, as as David, I know you know you've you've talked to people about this, and is uh, the whole uh, performance management function, and you know, do you continue with performance ratings? How do you think about that? And you know, I think that's something that uh, a few companies have established already. They're they're testing it. Mm-hmm. I think I still think, even though you know some companies have done it for a couple of years, there's still how is this going to impact the long term performance? In terms of business results, um, it's a great idea because it improves the quality of the conversations versus just, you know, uh, a numerical rating or an alpha rating so mm-hmm. um, but that requires a lot of education for leaders you know they need to know how to uh, effectively communicate performance without having a quote grade assigned to it mm-hmm. and um, so that training you know has to take place in order for this to be effective but that's a key piece I think that is going to continue to involve evolve and I also think that you know The war for talent will continue to increase, you know, with the aging population and with um, how uh, millennials feel about, you know, the workplace. Mm. it's, It's going to be clearly a war for talent in terms of who can get the best and the brightest folks. And I also think that what's going to change is you're not going to be necessarily recruiting for experience, you know, a person who's done that role for years. Uh, you're going to start to recruit for capabilities, core capabilities, hmm. uh, where people are going to start to learn the job. Um, but I have the innate skills. Uh, I could uh, lead people. I could effectively work across a matrixed environment. I could influence people. Oh. Um, I have a strategic you know, thought process and acumen. Uh, I can solve complex problems. Um, you know, that type of, call it an athlete. Uh, it's going to start to be hired a lot more uh, in the future than what has happened in the past. Yes, we'll still hire people with ten, 20 years of experience, but that capability may start to trump experience. Uh, not looking for people that just did the same job somewhere else. Do they have the skills we
0: need in our organization? That's in right. a particular area.
1: That's right.
0: It's a different approach. Yeah.
1: So I think that you know, assessing uh, jobs and, and competencies that are needed, in those jobs is the first thing to do. And then you know identifying people both within the company and outside of uh, the uh, organization that has those capabilities. In the first three months, they'll get the job. They'll learn it. Plus, there's a lot of smart people around them that have already done the job for many years. I think you're going to see that trend around how do we identify, test for, and assess for capabilities and competencies that match what the real profile of a job needs. Mm-hmm. Um, and it may take that person a year to really get going in the groove of the actual work, but if they have those those core competencies to lead, then you know they'll take it in a much higher direction than what what may have happened prior
0: You mentioned millennials uh, a moment ago uh, what's your philosophy
1: with uh, engaging millennials so I think you've got to be flexible and open to hearing what is important to them. I think you know just going through the same recruiting process um, when their candidates isn't going to work. Um, you know, they're going to want speed of entry into your applicant system. They're going to want to get quick, uh, notifications. They're going to want to use mobile and, um, you know, they're going to be a, a bit impatient to hear what's going on about a job application because, because they probably have many applications uh, out there. As employees, I think it's, it's, um, you know, a lot of mentoring we see going on. Um, you know, they want to grow in their career. They want to uh, network with folks. They want to share experiences. It seems to be a much more collaborative population in terms of, you know, we want to learn as a team. We want to grow. Uh, I want to experience new things. And um, it's a group that um, I think, uh, you know, we continue to need to listen to and adapt our internal processes. Not just focusing on millennials. How do you approach career
0: development, um, in general, maybe inside CVS?
1: Yeah. So, so we, um, I think I think a big way um, for people to develop, and we use this uh, within uh, CVS Health quite a bit, is you know job experiences by moving people into different jobs, maybe not roles that you know again they have done before, but they have that core kind of competency. Um, you know, development programs are critical as well, and we do a lot of programs outside and inside. I think those programs are key, but they have to be coupled with some real job experience um, where you can apply what you learn. If you, just, if you just learn through development programs on how to lead better or how to influence better, but you don't have that application uh, where you can practice it, try it, get feedback, that's critical. The other piece of it, as I just mentioned, is feedback. And um, the way to develop the quickest is to get constant feedback and have a development plan. If you don't have a development plan that your uh, leader knows about, he or she can't give you feedback on that plan. Uh, And then, you know, making sure the leader's comfortable and trained about, you know, giving that on-the-spot, real-time feedback uh, so people can learn and develop. Um, And the experience around projects and initiatives. Uh, We tend to put our best and brightest on, you know, our key initiatives, and that gives them a great opportunity to experience different things about either different parts of our company, uh, or either industry trends outside the company, it just opens up to a much broader viewpoint and from a development standpoint.
0: You're giving us a window into your approach to leadership development, sounds like. Maybe a little bit about the
1: culture. Can you talk about the leadership culture here? Yeah, so that's a great question. And um, as we think about that, we really view that from an enterprise standpoint, and we want to build leaders that have enterprise capabilities. Um, you know, we I mentioned a few of our business units, and but in order to be really effective and the most effective in the marketplace and deliver what our clients and customers and patients need, we have to integrate all of those uh, and create products and service offerings that are integrated. And in order to do that, you need leaders that understand all the different lines of business, not just one piece of it. So cross-pollinating talent is very important. And we put a, from a culture standpoint, we put a focus on that, Um, you know, in in terms of concentrating on our high potentials and understanding, you know, what parts of the business, the total enterprise, have they not experienced yet? Ah. And then rotating through that. And so after a few years, you know, they have truly built what we call enterprise experience. And then they're much more knowledgeable around product development opportunities or other kinds of strategic things. They can be better contributors to the leadership team. Wow.
0: Absolutely. Well, this is uh, we're coming to the point in the podcast, you know, where we do this uh, at Keystone in cooperation with NERA, the Northeast Human Resources Association. We have the NERA question of the podcast, which has always been um, for somebody up and coming in the HR function, you know, somebody that's practicing now, but maybe aspires to a role like you are
1: someday. What advice would you give that up and coming HR leader? The advice that I would give them would be to um, concentrate on the business you're in first, be a business leader, um, understand the business and apply HR to the business uh, versus the other way around. I think, you know, a strong HR person that will continue to grow up through an organization uh, and continue to develop and, and uh, take on bigger and broader roles are going to do that because they, they are concentrating on integrating HR delivery with what the business truly needs. And so I think learning the business is really, really key. You can't, as you get more senior, you can't be a real good HR person unless you really know the business that you're applying that How to. How would you
0: recommend people learn the business? What steps would you
1: recommend? So, you, take? You, you know, spend time in the business with frontline uh, leaders. Uh, get out there. Talk to folks. Uh, talk to employees. Be on, you know, business leader calls uh, you know, be part of the staff meetings and even the strategic, uh, discussions that may not have HR as part of that. You know, you're learning. Insert the business. yourself. You Absolutely. Know? You know, be, be aggressive on that. If you're not invited to a meeting, you need to, you know, be at to learn the business and then step back and say, okay, well, how can I help from an HR standpoint? You need to be, uh, assertive in terms of getting on there. Once you do that though, you have an obligation to actually, um, Bring HR solutions to the table that impact and benefit. So you can't just show up. (laughs) You can't just show up. (laughs) Um, So that's the deliverable that you sign up for, and um, but that's what gets you noticed. That's what that's how you add the impact to it. I think the other thing is, you know, I've seen a lot of HR people in my career um, that have great ideas. but can't really execute those ideas uh, for a variety of different uh, reasons, and a lot of HR uh, name one programs. One, what's
0: one reason people
1: can't execute? They don't know who to collaborate with to get it done. The political side, if yeah. you will. Yeah, I mean, especially not in, a great word, but yeah, that's right, Dave. Especially in a, a matrixed company uh, or uh, organization, you really need to understand who are the players that can that can get it done. I also think that it's baked into your strategy where. You can't just think about the idea and developing the idea uh, and the program without spending a lot of time thinking about the implementation and execution part of it. So I've seen a lot of great programs die in the vine because they just can't be executed. And when I spend time uh, interviewing HR folks, that's one thing I look for is, you know, not just what kind of ideas, you know, do you have and what kind of programs have you developed, but, you know, what have you implemented? And, you know, and, and what how, have you executed? Right, yeah, right. right,
0: right. And what were the results of that? A different question for you. If you could write a letter of career or leadership advice to your 30-year-old self, what advice would you write to Mark Griffin, 30 years old?
1: So I would write, get involved in more parts of HR as quickly as possible. Um, when you, especially with a large company, if you're in a smaller company, you can't help but do a little bit of everything, but in large companies, uh, they tend to be more siloed and specialized. So you're narrow and deep versus broad and wide. And, um, you know, you can get kind of stuck in one domain for a period of time. And, and I've been very careful not to do that. And I feel, I feel good that, um, I had a broad range of experiences, but there were times in my career where you know I've done I'm I'm back to doing some some part of HR that I've already done before and while that's fine you don't want to stay there too long because what happens is is you get to a certain uh level in the company where it's difficult to then move to other parts of HR because you've already gained an SME expertise in one area And so, now, if you want to be a compensation expert, fine, stand compensation, but if you want to be a broad-based HR person or even a chief chief HR officer at some point, you really want to make sure that you invest the time of moving laterally across HR, don't worry about promotions, move laterally to gain as as much experience in a variety of different areas. And even if you're in an HR business partner role, think about compensation, think about benefits. Mm -hmm. Get involved in that. Know the details. Don't just think that, hey, don't worry, I could call a comp expert in. Mm. While you might be able to, the development is there for you to really understand those. Mm. Who
0: have been some key influencers on you um, in your career? People that you've interacted with over the air that have really made a difference in your philosophy? Or
1: well, this, this might be different, but you know, I'll start with my parents. Um, you know, Both were high school teachers and um, both stressed accountability we We wouldn't get the benefit of the doubt if we screwed up in school at all because they were teachers <laughs> and uh they they knew there was plenty well, of opportunities for extra credit yeah, or, or yeah. more preparation or <laughs> and, you know and even though they might have thought on rare occasions that we had some merit to our complaint, you know it was all about you know take the accountability and figure it out, and you own it and so you know that ownership is key and 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 what I tried to do is work as as hard as I possibly could to prove myself and to continue to show that ownership and accountability so I think you know that was a key a lesson and they weren't even in in business they're they're high school teachers right um but I always remember that and um and that has always been uh, uh with me and I think the other thing is i had a I had a boss who was um very strong at the strategy part of hr in terms of connecting dots of how things impact the total company and i think at times when you're trying to implement something quickly or solve a problem you tend to think about the how does this affect what you're dealing with and not step back and say okay is this going to impact that department over there or this function or is it going to have a negative impact here or do we have to tell another department like communications to inform them what we're doing and really think about things in a holistic view and think about all the different impacts that may happen from the work you're doing. And um, as I continue to grow in my uh, career, that's been a requirement and also a staple of a senior HR person is you have to think about anything you do in HR. What are the implications in other areas and how are you going to address them? And I thought that was uh, something that she did extremely well. And um, I modeled myself. And, that. and she
0: was an HR as well. That's, that's correct. Good. Yeah. Sometimes HR is in the very difficult position of balancing being part of the executive team, but also being, you know, the confidant to the CEO. And that's a delicate balance. And I, maybe I think that's something, with, you know, senior people that are listening might, like, love to hear just your perspective on how do you, you balance those, that tricky position you're
1: in. Yeah. So obviously, you know, you learn a lot of confidential information about the business, about people, and about even the direct reports of the chief executive or the president of a major business line. And then you have those folks coming to you for help. You know, how do, how do they develop and how do they deal effectively with that president or chief executive officer? And so it is a balance. Um you know, I, I tend to think of it as, you know, um, a coaching opportunity where I, I, I apply coaching to folks that, you know, we may know what they may need from a CEO standpoint, how the CEO feels about that person or the president, but you turn that into a coaching opportunity. And when we turn that into a coaching opportunity, you're not disclosing anything um, inappropriate, but you're really helping guide and coach and develop that next uh, level down leader, that next direct report to be uh, as effective as they possibly can. Mm -hmm. And I also think that, you know, top executives, business line executives know that there is, you know, a a confidentiality requirement that HR has and they respect that. Um, But I think if you can also, you know, put that aside and help people uh, with their problems and help them work more effectively and with their peers or, you know, their top, top executive, I think you know you build a lot of credibility with them. Then they trust you, and you know it's if you can't build trust as a senior HR executive, you really are are not going to be as effective as you need to be.
0: And now we have a couple silly questions for you to wrap up our podcast. Um, what gives you energy, Mark?
1: I think it's the it's the interaction uh, with people that bring different different points of view. And sometimes it's, um, it's, it's a quote argument we have. Um, sometimes it's, we agree to disagree. Um, but I think that energy is, is there because it's a lively thought provoking kind of discussion. And, and I like people who can challenge the status quo and can think about things differently and can push back and have those, you know, I disagree with you because here's why. And, and have those, those good discussions versus, you know, here's the plan and let's follow the rule book and, and that doesn't give me energy, but what does is kind of let's solve a problem, let's get the smartest people in the room, and let's debate it, you know, and let's have a good discussion about it. And and getting everybody's input, including people that might be more junior, but might be closer to the problem. Hearing them come up with ideas that, you know, are 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 much better sometimes than what, what we're all thinking about at a more senior level, uh is 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 really energizing.
0: And Mark, the last question of the podcast, what's the first thing you do when you get out
1: of bed in the morning? Well, it depends on the morning probably, but uh I, I, I exercise and um you know not every morning, okay. So I, I, I feel that it's just it's good to get up and to do something and to get moving. And I tend to think a lot, you know, when I'm exercising. And then I end up coming to work when you have to start to jump right into that execution mode. And for some reason it, it just gives me the ability uh, that I don't have enough time during the day is is to think about the things that might be around the corner, think about the things that we still have to do that may not have done uh, well enough or need to do more of, uh, or like what's 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 the next priority in the business lines that I lead, and so you know, and then I I had a boss uh, you know back in Fleet that that really talked about you know the uh, business athlete, and she used that as um, kind of wellness, like we talked about before, but you know, you need to stay in shape both in your mind and in your body. And she kind of was talking about, you know, you have to eat right and stay healthy because if you're this corporate athlete concept, if you're not fit and if you're not eating right, then you're going to feel sluggish. You're not going to be as sharp in, in the business world. And, and it really makes sense. I mean, when I don't exercise and don't eat right and don't get enough sleep, you know, I am not my best. And so when you're in a tough job, you know, you, you need to make sure that you have have the physical and mental stamina and preparation for it. Because even though we're not out there lifting weights here at work, uh, you do go home mentally drained. And I think that, you know, that exercise both in mind and body, I think is something that is really important to keeping a good, um, a good balance between, you know, how you, ex, uh, you know, how you, uh, perform at work.
0: Yeah. So it's really a really holistic approach. Kind of wraps up a whole conversation about
1: wellness too. Ties it all in. So. It does. Yeah. And I didn't mean to tie it into wellness, but, but as you think about it, it really does. Thank you so much, Mark, for being on the podcast. Thanks, I David. I really appreciate, appreciate the offer. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to the Hennessy Report from Keystone Partners. Be sure to subscribe to listen to all of our conversations with leaders in HR. Go to keystonepartners.com and click on the podcast button.